0: Good morning. So, we're all familiar with phobias. Each one of us seems to have at least one of them, and some of us may have more than one phobia. Phobias are a a fear of something that at times seems excessive, maybe even perceived by others as unrealistic. Those of us with them try to avoid that something which triggers those fears in us. If we have to face those fears, we endure them with grand anxiety and sometimes distress, I thought it'd be helpful to share a few of my own phobias with you this morning, just to get us started. The first of my fears, or my phobias, is called acrophobia. It is the fear of heights. It affects many people like me. It's normal for us, all of us, to have a certain fear of heights, a certain degree in which we encounter heights. However, this one involves an intense fear of being on a high place. It causes us to be anxious. At times, we tremble, we have a rapid heartbeat, we even have panic attacks sometimes. But as much as we're able, we stay away from these high places, such as bridges or tall buildings. For example, I drive in the middle lane of a bridge as much as I can when there is four lanes or even two. I just drive as far away the edge as I can. try to stay away from the edge of tall places. When my kids are up there with me, I try to pull them to the middle in some unrealistic way. So the next of my phobias is trypanophobia. It is the fear of injections. It, in two, affects many people like me. When we have to get an injection we experience strong feelings of dread and elevated heart rate and i explain to the people giving me the needle like look please i'm a baby about this please be very very careful you know we look away we just want it to be over and so much so that some of us even pass out when we're getting these needles we get injections mostly only when we really, really have to do them for example i just got my third jab and i'm glad it's over now the pandemic though has introduced to us a new phobia and this is legitimate, coronaphobia, it's not, it's not funny. It's actually the fear of contracting COVID, but it's not just the fear of getting COVID, but it's also the fear of giving it to somebody else, especially someone you love dearly. Some of us are gripped by this fear and it affects the type of, and are affected by it. We're concerned over the possible loss of our jobs, the loss of some of our friendships, and even breaking relationships in our extended families. We, have, they, we avoid public places, we cut back on traveling, socializing, and even leaving our homes at times. Whether you've had some form of coronaphobia or not, all of us sense that the pandemic has, has and continues to change the format of our lives in some way, shape, or form. And it's especially done so with our fears and our anxieties. I would say for most of us, they're on the rise. Sadly, not only do we have these new fears, sometimes that crop up, but existing fears we have are now being triggered and more often exasperated in our lives. Uncertainty at times overwhelms us, heightening these old old anxieties and these concerns and creating some new ones in our lives. For some of you, these fears can take over, and it's the point where some of you are now what I would even call indulging in your fears on a regular basis. I wouldn't call it binge-fearing, but just about. So as we live with this sense of rising anxiety and fear, the exciting thing is that the Holy Spirit is also producing some things in our lives as well, which is a corresponding increased need for greater faith in God. As we sang earlier, and we sang about the goodness of God, we have this rising need to be assured that God is real and that he is good. As we sang, we really want to know that he is closer like no other. So the Holy Spirit is looking today to give us a more steadfast faith to overcome these phobias, But more importantly, a steadfast faith to overcome what I would call more common, realistic fears that all of us have, not just these silly phobias that I have. These are fears that we universally experience. These are fears such as the fear of inadequacy or failure, the fear of rejection or loneliness, the fear of getting ill or injured, the fear of loss or losing control, the fear of uncertainty, or the fear of especially that what's next, especially that sense of you have that feeling of something bad's about to happen. Or that proverbial fear of change i'm sure and the most recent one that social media has given us is a new fear called fomo many of you may know this is the fear of missing out so and even for many of us growing up in our families things were so out of control we felt helpless and were negatively affected by them so much so that we don't want to let go of our control of our life to anyone even god so as i talk about these different types of fears failure, rejection, illness, control, whatever they are, just want you to take a moment right now and say, which of those ones are most prevalent in your life at this time? Those of you who are familiar with my preaching, this is typically where I ask you to share, we're not asking you to share, okay? This is something that's just I want you to think about in your heart. Because fears are things that are are kind of scary to share. But I want you to think about those fears that have most impacted how you think, how you feel, and how are affecting the way you make your decisions in life right now. The reality is too often our lives are driven by our fears. The magnitude of their effect on us is more than we realize or admit. With each of these fears, God has created in our hearts a corresponding increased need for a more steadfast faith in him. It will, I will be encouraging us today and equipping us to overcome these fears through this greater faith in God, to have a steadfast faith over fear. That's what we're going to look at in our passage today. We'll understand more and more how to stand firm in your faith, because as we will see, if we don't stand firm in our faith, we're not going to stand at all. We will see how much God desires for us to trust him over everyone else, over everything else, including ourselves. Now, we are in a sermon series, as Pastor Brian mentioned, from the book of Isaiah, focused on on the God we can trust. And as we looked at the messages that God, from these messages from Isaiah. Last week, Pastor Brian shared with us in chapter 6, Isaiah's call to ministry, and he focused our attention on the holiness of God and what it does for us. How it makes us see God who he is, how we see ourselves who we are, and how we see God's grace in our lives that makes all things new. This week, in Isaiah chapter 7, mostly, and a little bit in 8 and 9, I'm going to look specifically at these messages that God sent with Isaiah to King Ahaz and the people of Judah. And we'll see how these messages weren't just for him, but they apply to us as well. We'll be equipped to better stand firm in our faith, because as I mentioned, if we don't stand firm, we're not going to stand at all. Next week, Pastor Brian's going to look at chapters 11 and 12 in Isaiah and talk about the branch and the banner. So if you could turn with me in your Bible, your Bible app, to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to start with reading verses 1 through 9. And then later on, we'll sparse in a couple of things uh, later in chapter 7 and a little bit in chapter 9. So again, we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. It's going to be up on the screen as well if you want to follow along. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezan of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramalai, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied to suffer with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Sher-Jesu, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of those two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramali, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let's tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remilia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So what I want to do is I want to walk through these roughly about nine verses with us together, see a couple things we can glean from that, and then look at how we can apply a couple of things from chapter, chapter nine as well. So in verse one, we see that Ahaz is now king of Judah. Now Ahaz is actually the grandson of Uzziah, who was the king of Judah that Pastor Brian mentioned last week, who reigned many years, who created this sense of peace and prosperity for Judah during his reign. As seen on this map right up here, there's a green section. That's the kingdom of Assyria. And they're threatening. So you can imagine how big that is and how it's threatening, that little section down there. Okay, The kingdoms of Syria, Israel, and Judah. So what Syria and Israel decided to do is they decided to join forces. They wanted Judah to join with them, and they wouldn't. So Syria and Israel decided to now conquer Judah, and make them agree to it. That's kind of how it works. Like, if you can't get your brother to join in with you, right, you compel him to in the end. You gang up. So they're all under attack. Now we're going to see how God's desire for Ahaz and his people of Judah was to rely on him to save them rather than to get into this political alliance to do that. God didn't want Ahaz to be intrinsically brave, but he wanted him to place his steadfast faith in him and what he could do for him rather than these plans or schemes to put all this together. Now, in verse two of chapter seven, we see that the hearts of Ahaz and the people were shaken by their circumstances, and it describes how they were shaken as trees of the forest shaken by the wind. Um, Recently, in our community where we live, a tornado went by, and the winds were so much that it ripped the top of the trees off, um, destroying everything. So, literally, here it means the heart, his heart, Ahaz's heart, and the hearts of the people were moving back and forth like moving of trees in the wind. They trembled with fear. It says their hearts were emotionally shaken. They were so terrified that they were likely physically shaking with fear as well, like me with the needle. So this sense of fear was one that was also described, you may remember back in the story of Rahab and the spies that were with her. She described to them what the people there were feeling. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear. So they're trembling, there's melting. So this sense of fear... So what I wanna do is I want you to think about when was the last time you were melting in fear or shaking in fear? Again, this is not one we're gonna share. For me, the last time was when my surgeon used the C word. That is cancer. She shared with me about what kind of cancer I had and what my prognosis was. In the end, through surgery and radiation treatments, I'm pleased to share with you how I'm now cancer free. I'm still getting tests done on a regular basis, but at this time, and according to my doctor in the foreseeable future, she anticipates I'm going to remain free of that cancer. For most of us, cancer is one of those most fear-inducing words. There's others like it, right? There's news about the health of ourselves or someone close to us. There's news about death. We just talked about Larry passing away and some others, death of a spouse or a close family member. There's news about divorce or separation. There's news about a job loss or changes to a different line of work. There's news about an unexpected negative change to our finances, and there's so many more. Each of these are ones, if not, that all of us fear happening in our lives. When one of them does happen to us, we fear the additional negative outcomes that follow them. Like Ahaz, what happens to us and others can create an increasing sense of fear and a decreasing sense of faith. So what's great is, let's look at chapter three, God shows up. In the midst of these threats and stress, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and tells him to go out to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool. What's that all about? Why would he instruct him to meet him there? Well, ironically, this was the point where Ahaz was underway overseeing the work of the system of defenses. He was actually making a plan and a scheme, and he went over here, and he was putting all together the way to cut off the water supply from the enemy to keep track of his city and keep it safe. So God wanted Isaiah to give Ahaz this message at the exact place where Ahaz was already working out his own scheme. And he wanted to say, Stop. While he is taking matters in his own hands, here we see God giving him some messages in the rest of verse 4. I love these messages. He says, To be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. So, what do those things mean? So, when he told him to be careful, it's actually a command. He was directing him to take heed, be on his guard. Now, having faith in God, there's still sometimes a sense of personal responsibility he wants us to have. So it's not just to lay back and watch God work, but also there's things he may want us to do. However, our actions are not to take the place of our primary re- resilience on God. They're not to take the place of our primary relying on God either. When he told him to keep calm, he was directing him to show, as Pastor Brian was talking about in his opening prayer, an inner quietness, where you have the sense of security inside you that comes from sensing that God's already at work, and that at the end, it's all gonna work out the way he wants. He wanted him to display this quietness, knowing that things are in good hands, being silent until God had taken care of everything that was in play. When he told him not to be afraid, he was directed him not to be weak-hearted or cowardly. He did not want him to be dismayed or disturbed by what seemed to be perilous and possible doom for him and his people. Now, the neat thing is, when he didn't want him to be afraid, he used the same word that he actually gave to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 1, when he said, Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. He continues in the remainder of verse 4 and verse 5 and chapter 7 to tell Isaiah to share with Ahaz not to lose heart because of the circumstances and what fears he thinks will happen to him. He did not want him to be disheartened by fierce anger that they were displaying towards him. He didn't want him to be timid or thinking that he was afraid of something. He encouraged him, ironically, with the same words he encouraged Moses with in Exodus 14, verse 13, where he says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the Lord's salvation, which will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. So these words that he gave to Moses, he was saying the same thing was going to happen to these other kings who were after him. God himself wasn't going to allow Syria and Israel to succeed Despite the evil plans that they had in place to terrify and conquer, God was telling Ahaz that these evil plans of theirs were not going to take place, they're not going to happen. That meant he was to have faith that the purposes of the Lord will stand, that the evil plans will never come to pass. God didn't want Ahaz to perform any heroic maneuvers or political alliances. He just needed to trust that God was in control and that God was telling him the truth. So what was this trust in God that God was seeking from Ahaz? And he's seeking from us. What does it look like? He ends this section telling Isaiah to share with Ahaz what it does look like. He stated point blank that if he does not stand firm in his faith in God, he will not stand at all. If his faith does not remain firm, then he would not remain secure. If his faith was not enduring, he would not endure either. God was telling Ahaz that trust looks quite like some of the lyrics of one of the songs we sang earlier today called Do It Again. God was reminding Ahaz that his promises still stand that he is faithful, that he has not failed him yet. If Ahaz's confidences was in God, Ahad would trust in God's promises to preserve him and that God's promises would still stand for him. He would declare that he is still in God's hands and he would sing like we did today, great is your faithfulness. He would tell him that God has never failed him yet and that he will never forget. That's what this trust looks like that God wanted from him. But sadly, Ahad was double-minded he vacillated between two opinions, one that God would come through and the other one that he wasn't quite sure that he was going to do all he could in case he didn't. Not even a plan B. We'll call it plan 1A and 1B. His double mindedness made him unstable in a position where he was not going to excel. He demonstrated signs of fear, doubt, and hesitancy. He didn't embrace in his heart the actions that God had intended for him to do. He didn't keep, be careful. He didn't keep calm. and He was afraid. So I gave, Isaiah gave him the ultimatum, that is stand firm in your faith in God or you're going to fail. And that's our big idea. We overcome our fears with a greater faith in God. We stand firmer in our faith because it's not we who stand firm in our faith. It is, if, we, if we don't stand firm in our faith, we won't stand at all. God desires us to trust him over everyone and everything else, including ourselves. A, however, missed the big idea and didn't take it to heart. We read later in 2 Kings how this double-mindedness he had was his demise. Politically and spiritually, he had been instrumental in undermining the foundations of the kingdom of Judah. Tragically, he chose to put his trust in Assyria, his own worst enemy. Essentially, he laid aside his trust in God and compromised his nation's unique identity. Instead of being distinct and being a blessing to the other nations, he chose to lose the nation's identity and become enslaved to Assyria. As a result... He died, and when he died, he didn't even receive a royal burial. He's left outside of the tombs. Having not made God his king, he did not receive a kingly burial. Instead, blessing of honor, his, his legacy is idolatry, unfaithfulness, and dishonor. What could he have done? Well, fortunately, we have the benefit of all of Scripture. And in James chapter 1, verses 5-8, through eight, it reminds us, if any of us lacks wisdom, what? We can ask God, who gives generously to us, without finding fault, and it'll be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Don't be double-minded. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown toast, blown and tossed like the wind. Like those trees we talked about. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Later, if we move forward in chapter 7, verses 13 through 16, he gave him more hope. He gave Ahaz more hope. Isaiah prophesied, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here it comes. Max talked about it. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. This is kind of a double prophecy. The child here that was supposed to serve a sign to Ahaz, this was a child to be born who was going to discern good from evil before the kings would be gone. This child was proof that God was present and would protect his people here in the near term. They could trust that neither Ahaz nor Pekin or Rezin or any other oppressor was going to take care of them. It was just going to be God. He would preserve them. But this was not just about that child at that time, but also a child to be born at a time which would be our Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. This part of Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled, completed, and accomplished and realized in the miraculous conception of Jesus as we see in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 23. In the remainder of chapter 7, as well as in chapter 8 and chapter 9, God, through the prophet Isaiah, keeps coming after Ahaz. Will you trust in me? Will you put your trust in something else other than me? Come back to me. God, through Isaiah, reminds him that if we trust in him, we will be saved. But when we place our trust in something else it eventually turns on us and destroys us. God is saying through Isaiah in these chapters that self-reliance and reliance on others is deadly. It will lead to us putting our trust in the very things that will let us down and eventually destroy us in terms of our eternal destiny. So in chapter 9, again, we get another wonderful promise. Isaiah talks again about the baby to be born in the future. He describes the birth of a wonderful child. It says, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Do you notice here, the government here, he used that word intentionally? Peace is what he was looking for. This too was both a short-term promise and a long-term promise. Short-term was trust in me and I will save you and the people of Judah. The long-term promise, of that was Jesus the Messiah was born and going to save us all. God says we can trust in him because he is a God who's with us. And he sent his son Jesus to reconcile us back to himself. This was done by Jesus dying on the cross in our place. Jesus dying on the cross for us means that we don't need to do it ourselves. We don't need to rely on ourselves. God's done it all. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are restored to obey him and trust him. If you've never been restored in your relationship with God, through, God, through what Jesus did for you, on dying on the cross, may today be the day you confess your sins, repent and get right with God. If you're not a Christian, turn from your sins and go to Jesus. He will forgive you and give you a new heart, a heart that will want to do these things, want to have that steadfast faith in him. For those of us who are followers of him, there are ways God wants us to overcome our fears and have that steadfast faith in him. Sadly, when we experience hardship or spending less time in God's word or communicating less with him in prayer, what happens to our faith? It wanes. It wanes begins to wane, and we start doubting the, God, the goodness of God and the power of his promises. As we get in the habit of having a steadfast faith, inevitably those circumstances are going to pop up and discourage us from doing so. What do we do then? Fortunately, we have the whole breadth of scripture. And James, again, brings some great verses back to us. In James 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants us to stand firm in our faith and develop a greater sense of perseverance, which does produce this maturity and completeness. These trials are opportunities to sink our roots deeper into his faith. So God wants us to be steadfast in our faith when our circumstances seem to be dangerous or when our heart shakes. Like I have, we will face these things. Loved ones will get sick. Finances will fall through. People will get angry with us, and these trials are going to give us opportunities of where we're going to turn. Where do you turn when life gets difficult or dangerous? Again, rhetorical question. Not to talk to your body, But I'll tell you what, let let me open up my heart. For me, I turn to things where I can have a greater sense of control and a greater sense of success and a greater sense of satisfaction. It could be my work, my family, my athletic endeavors, or even just my simple pleasures. Somewhere where I can find that sense of success and satisfaction that can only be found in God. God wants me to trust him by taking him at his word. Like Ahaz, I've been armed with God's word when I face difficulties in life. My Christian faith is supposed to be built on a determination to believe God and his word over everything else. I started sharing with you about two of my phobias. Some of you thought they were a little silly, irrational. I appreciate those who empathize with me. But I want to start, I want to wrap us up by sharing with you two sources of my security that I used when I was a kid. Looking back on them now, they feel a little bit silly, but they didn't feel that way at the time. The first of these was a lucky rabbit's foot charm. How many of you, or your parents perhaps, had one of these? We can raise hands on this one. If you don't even know what this is, okay? Millennials, you're, maybe people sitting next to you can explain what a rabbit's foot is. I mean, a rabbit's foot, I carried it in my pocket and considered it a token of good luck because it reminded me to be courageous in adverse situations. The second of these was a four-leaf clover. Again, how many of you or maybe your parents had a four-leaf clover? Okay. I had mine a little piece of plastic. I kept it in my pocket. Now, just so you know, four-leaf clovers, there's only one in 10,000 three-leaf clovers is a four, lucky four-leaf clover, so they're pretty lucky. Like my rabbit's foot, I carried it around, wrapped in plastic, as another source of good luck for me. And I felt it offered me some sort of magical protection that warded off bad luck I was going to run into. Why did I have these things? Because I thought they would help me. I thought adding these things to my faith in God would be a good thing. Wouldn't be detrimental to me, right? It can't hurt, right? But when when you carry around something that's a source of comfort and courage that's not God, it takes away from your faith in God rather than adds to it. What do you have in addition to your faith in God, just in case? What do you use as a source of comfort and courage when you face life difficulties besides God himself? Let's wrap, up, let's wrap up in asking ourselves, why is it so difficult for us to put our full trust in God? There are several explanations. I just want to touch on two of them because they seem a little more universal for all of us. One is, like Ahaz, consciously or unconsciously, we blame God for things that go wrong. When we suffer or have unfortunate things happen to us, we at times place the blame at God's feet. Many of us have done this, and many of us maybe even doing it right now. We think, look, if he's truly all-powerful, that he would never allow these things to happen in my life. said so he would have prevented them from happening altogether because his job is to make my life easy and comfortable, nice, enjoyable. When he does allow such things, I question, how reliable is this God? And then I look around in other people's lives and see what's going on there and it exasperates the problem for me. We may even start to feel that we've been targeted or ignored by God. Trust is difficult for us when we feel let down by God before and we don't want to experience that level of confusion and hurt again. Another reason why it's hard for us to trust God fully is that he takes us out of our comfort zone. Many of us remember growing up and learning how to swim in the pool. Often our parents would stand on the side of the pool and tell us what? Jump, jump, right? And we've been looking at them, right? There's times we look at them, we're not so sure, right? We're hesitating, okay? Side of the pool is where we felt safe, right? We're standing, and jumping It didn't seem not so safe. We would wonder if our parents were strong enough or quick enough to catch us. Even a few of us wonder if our parents are going to pull a trick on us, right? Move away. In the end, we had to demonstrate our steadfast trust in them and ignore these what-ifs and leave our comfort zone and what? Jump. Right? That's what we need to do. Trusting God is similar in that it often does have a sense of leap of faith associated with it, where we don't really know what's going to happen. But we have to know that God is asking us to leap into something that's a better place for us. We need to trust God that it would be so. Many of us are experiencing this, you know, leariness about God and, and how he's leading us to new places and new things. We've experienced that or maybe you have experienced it right now. But the bottom line is to truly trust God is to acknowledge that his way is best, that his word is the ultimate authority for our lives. But acknowledging that is only the beginning. Trusting God fully with a steadfast trust impacts the way you live, the way we think, the priorities we establish in just about every other aspect of our lives. Giving up that kind of control in our lives does not come easy for any of us. We need help. We need help from God himself for us to be able to trust him as he desires us to that we can let go and trust him every day, every hour, every moment. So how do we start to do this more and more? Well, ironically, it starts with us doing it something less. We do so by doing less things, and as Pastor Brian said earlier, by being silent and still. We offer God's Holy Spirit the space where he can tenderize our willingness and turn it into willfulness. We display this sense of quietness as a product of knowing that we are in good hands. We be still and silent and know that God has the important matters of our life in his hands. We do this by doing it over and over again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Our faith in him is by measured by the trust we place in him over anyone else, over anything else, including ourselves. God wants us to remember how everyone and everything he put in our lives can be taken away except for him. When we put our trust in them, in him, he can't be taken away. He's always there. He'll never deny us. Let me end by saying that when we face this rising sense of fears this upcoming week, and we will, we want to give God's Holy Spirit room to be bringing to our minds and hearts the truths that we've heard here today. Because it says anyone who draws near to God, God will draw near to them. We want to experience more intimacy with him and have an increased sense of the depth of the the steadfastness of our faith. And ironically, this most famous hymn that most of us know, I love this part. It says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed.'" Let's pray. Dear God, help us this week to use seemingly incidental things to remind us that you are in our lives. Help us to see how you're handling more than we can ever see, how you're involved, intervening, healing, directing. Give us eyes to see this and ears to hear this so that we may increase our steadfast faith in you. God, help us as followers of you to grow together, firming up as we trust you more and more in the everyday practicalities of our lives. God, help us to trust in you alone. You reminded us today, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Help us to be more firm in our faith in you. Everything we put our trust in can be taken away except help us to find our trust in you. Amen.